so this is uh, season two behind the curtain. It sure is. <laughs> I, I that was not going to be my uh, my lead in my open gripping stuff. <laughs> my attention's grabbed. So yeah, like we did this show, you know, kind of like maybe you listen to it, sorta. Uh, it wasn't going to be our intro to this episode, but I think it is now. <laughs> Hey, theater goers, welcome to our second Behind the Curtain episode, uh, this one for season two. We are very happy that you have decided to join us and that you're continuing with us on this journey. I don't know what we all expected, if we expected to make it through uh, about 40 episodes. Still alive. I did. Yeah, I was like, this, this is a franchise. <laughs> Day one. So, uh, yeah, we're still going. Um, we are going to, uh, spend this episode talking about the season that just passed. Uh, spoiler alert, obviously. Um, if you haven't listened to season two, I suggest you probably should listen to that first because you'll get more out of this conversation. I'm pretty sure you're going to be completely lost as we talk about season two if you have not seen season two. So go listen to season two. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Okay, so in season two, uh, it started with a vision from Rotan, which prodded our party to journey into the mountains outside of Roth to the village of Ankala, wherein they discovered some bad things going on, got into trouble, got into more trouble, found their way into the red fields, and then blew up a big crystal, which caused more trouble bravely blew up a big crystal they did they did so um you know that that scintillating uh synopsis of the season how are you all feeling about season two overall pretty good i think i think it, i think it, i think it arced well especially rotan's story you know we learned a lot about rotan's backstory and met his family and got to know who he is as a person a little bit better by delving deep into his psychology of his daddy issues <laughs> Yeah, I I enjoyed it certainly getting to explore some of that in greater detail. It's it's sort of been hinted that Rotan's family was slash is a bit of a mess, and and it was neat to to explore that some in this season. So I I I enjoyed it a lot actually. I thought there were a lot of fun character moments, and uh, if if season one was about how the party sort of gloms together out of circumstance i feel like this was the one where they start to to mesh uh a bit more thoroughly and uh and so that was that was cool to to do i was surprised by how thoroughly fleshed out and attached to our npcs we got trevor specifically like our stupid teenage character that had a crush on Silway was immediately forgotten became like a primary mover of the season yeah we'll we'll talk more about trevor later uh, so what about you mike how are you feeling at the end of season two or how are you feeling, you know, that season two went? I mean, I had fun. That's, that's my primary goal. No, uh, look, I mean, I, 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 besides becoming overpowered because of that bloody staff, which <laughs> you, you will take from Miss cold dead paws. Uh, <laughs> I mean, 
Don't don't taunt the DM, my. <laughs> no, I, 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 I <laughs> suddenly your paws become cold and dead. Villain of season five, right here. Uh, <laughs> Mist on the river achieves ultimate power. <laughs> Decides to remake the world in his image. <laughs> it's just yarn. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, everything's made of yarn. <laughs> I no, I I thought I um, grass carpets that you could <laughs> just scratch at. I, I I thought I hope uh, the characters learned a lot more about how effective they are when they work together and how less effective they are when they go rogue and kind of go off. I mean, we still split the party a lot, let's be honest, but maybe we'll (laughs) stop doing that because it only kind of works out sometimes rather than where is I going with this? I don't know. I, I, I enjoyed it. I liked the, um, I liked the, uh, the, the, the arc of it. I liked the story that we were on. I enjoyed the, the town um i enjoyed getting to lecture everybody on euchre you know kind yeah kind of seeing the party think beyond themselves um or at least start to show inklings of thinking beyond themselves and doing things for reasons other than their own immediate survival so uh on that note to what extent do you think the party has grown and begun to see beyond themselves like I, I i think it's interesting that you talk about like how the party is is kind of coming together and starting to work together and yet you know rotan do you think he's gotten to the point where he th- understands that maybe it's not the best plan to go at everything head-on and as hard and fast as you can do i think maybe he's starting to think that <laughs> yes <laughs> Do I think that he actually is like, I'm going to change my ways? No. But progress, you know, every every step in the right direction is matters. And certainly we saw with, you know, Silway starting to open up to, if not for party members, at least the NPCs by the <laughs> by the end of things or even partway through the end, partway through the season. So, you know, there where she had been very closed off. Uh, she's starting to open up, and and Rotan may. I mean, we'll we'll see what season three brings. Um, after his experiences, after his his very direct approach to the Odal maybe didn't go the way he would have expected it to. I mean, unless getting captured and drugged and and I mean, it kind of did. He <laughs> he gave himself up and he got captured as expected. One of these days. You're going to let me knock, and it's going to be fine. <laughs> we did let you knock, and it wasn't fine. No, you didn't let me knock. <laughs> we, we encouraged you not to knock. That's true. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then you guys snuck in and got caught by the cat people things. <laughs> Historical revisionism. <laughs> I, I would say that um, season one, it worked out. Like Rotan literally going up into act, they're going up and knocking on the door of the Brotherhood was completely unexpected, and from that we had the party scene and everything else, and that was not intended at all. But you know, Rotan ingratiated himself into the Brotherhood, and it worked out perfectly. Yeah, this one uh, maybe not so much. I mean, in the end, it worked, but <laughs> results. 
we we didn't die and we rescued the brother therefore success <laughs> yeah but it, it worked out the way that it worked out the way that abed didn't get his legs broken by the french steward impersonator who ran the the, the celebrity impersonating business wow that is an obscure <laughs> episode to pull from yep it only worked out because all of his friends were concerned about him and worked hard to make sure that he got out of the trouble that he got himself into. But but think of all the things that Rotan would have learned while being tortured. Like how short his life is. <laughs> what the inside of this crystal looks like. <laughs> yes. What his brother's corpse looks like, maybe. I, I mean, as a, I, I mean, I'm inclined to agree. I, I, I think Rotan definitely is still very much in favor of the most direct action, uh, the most direct action often seeming uh, poorly considered and impulsive to other people. But I do think he's coming to realize that there may be more than one way to crack these nuts and, or what, crack these, what's the saying? I have no idea. <laughs> okay. Yeah. There's more than one way to skin a cat. Skin a cat. That offensive. seems inappropriate, though. Uh, offensive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so, so he's coming to realize there's more than one way to skin skin a mist. and uh, <laughs> To flay a stupid human alive. How yeah, about that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's discovering there's more, more than one way to flay a human. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, maybe maybe doing things with companions isn't such a bad thing. So uh, speaking of this, and um, let's we're going to go to our first question of the uh, evening, afternoon, whenever you're listening. I don't know. Time is weird. It's asynchronous. But uh, the first question I have for you all, Grace, who uh, sent us many questions, and I will be reading all of them over the course of this. Uh, so thank you, Grace, for listening. Thank you for your questions. Grace wants to know, uh, this one's for Mike. Mike, uh, the rest of the party has caused Mist no small amount of annoyance and frustration over the course of the past two seasons. <laughs> what? No. Hey, hey now. <laughs> A cat annoyed by humans? What? <laughs> Hold on, I don't like the way this question is going. <laughs> Uh, has Mist developed a bald spot on the bridge of his nose since he's perpetually pinching it? <laughs> and how might Mist react to such a thing were it to develop? <laughs> oh, just FYI, Mike is currently pinching his nose on camera. <laughs> I don't think intentionally. And also, my nose is hairless, so that's um, uh, although, <laughs> um. <laughs> that's a that amuses me greatly i think mist what he expresses outwardly as frustration and annoyance um like all cats is really a perhaps masking of their deeper feelings you may get a sense of this as we go into season three but i think for all he expresses his disdain for the antics of his companions and certainly they they provide him as uh well in, in your words it's no end of annoyance and so forth um they do also provide him with a perverse sort of entertainment <laughs> they could get hurt and this could be funny or i could get to do ridiculous stuff and save them which would be fun <laughs> <laughs> 
So I think there's, I think he's enjoying himself more than he lets on. Rotot is just a ball of string or or a little bell on the end of a... (laughs) He certainly acts like it. (laughs) Uh, Does that answer the question? I hope that answers the question. I think so. I think that, I think it does. Like one of the, one of the things as season one was mostly about Silway. Uh, season two was definitely focused on Rotan and Rotan's backstory. And Adam, you talked a little bit about this earlier. How do you think Rotan is emotionally or as a person? Um, how, how much do you think he grew or what do you think changed in him upon seeing family members again and or like realizing he has a nephew and kind of connecting sort of for the first time with it almost feels like connecting with his family in an adult way versus just being the youngest uh child hmm so Rotan's in denial about a lot of things <laughs> i think i think that's that should be fairly fairly evident Probably to the point where he's not knowingly aware of it anymore. Uh, and so I think it's, it's running into family is, uh, I, I don't, I don't think it's making him face anything that he doesn't want to face, but it's sort of like seeing, seeing things from a new angle that, that he hasn't looked at for a while, if, if that makes sense. I don't think it, it will trigger any transformative change in him now. But uh, but maybe it's the beginning of something down the road. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> Di- Diana knows what's going to happen. <laughs> no, I actually. Yeah. I, I, well, no, I know. The, you, well, yeah. I know what could happen. I but what could happen. If if, if this uh, these two seasons have taught me nothing else, it's that I have no idea what's going to happen. I mean, Ro- Rotan ran into probably the one of the siblings he was closest to in this arc, uh, which is his, his elder brother who left the family quite some time ago, but, but he's this, this figure who Rotan has almost idolized, uh, for, for quite some time now because he seemed to be of pure heart and, and, uh, was brave and valiant and all the things that, that Rotan wanted to be. And so, uh, running into him again and being able to rescue his brother, uh, is, is, it's kind of like arriving, actually. Rotan has arrived. (laughs) He is, he is rescuing heroes now. Like, he's in the big leagues. This is it. Level eight. That's when it starts happening. Level eight is when you start rescuing other heroes. Yeah, I, I will say it's funny. This is kind of a bit of a, a segue or I forget y'all are level eight. Like it kind of feels like from my perspective, like as a dungeon master, as somebody who's kind of maybe more concerned sometimes with story over mechanics, I feel like maybe I haven't challenged you all enough just on the game side. When I look back over this season and even the first two seasons, like, you know, there weren't to me a lot of spectacular account encounters and like tough fights and weird creatures. And I don't know, a lot of things that you kind of typically find in D&D campaigns. And some of that was by design, like 
I very much wanted these first season or two to be about human interaction and the sins of the past. And I can tell you that it's going to change going forward as you've taken that step and we've started recording season three and you've started moving beyond the sort of new world into the old world, the things you encounter are going to change. But I don't know, how did you all feel like about kind of more the mechanics side of things and the encounters and combat? Because I know, Mike, you, I, I think you in particular, I don't know, to say enjoy the combat more is not accurate, um, but you do enjoy the combat. I like rolling dice. No, yeah, I, I, I like, I do enjoy encounters that allow me to use the skills that I've tried to pick either thematically or strategically and try, you know, I, I may not be always the best at doing those things. Eldritch Blast, Eldritch Blast, Eldritch Blast, Eldritch well, Blast. Okay, so speaking of mechanics, <laughs> it's not my fault. <laughs> we don't take short rests. <laughs> if I had known that we weren't going to be taking short rests as a party, I probably would not have made a warlock. That would be my fault. <laughs> I, 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 I accept the criticism. I will own the criticism. <laughs> uh, I mean, since since we're talking about mechanics, you I, know, I, mean, I that's will be of, a better person. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, and that's and some, but some of that comes from coming in character, like. Rotan, once he's moving in a direction, is very difficult to stop for an hour. Hey, can we just chill for an hour? And why? I'm still standing. And, you know, I mean, that's kind of how it's a, it's, it's one of these part, maybe party dynamic things that, that maybe, uh, when we were building what character do we want to play versus what character is actually going to fit well into this party, knowing what I know now, I mean, honestly, I still really like the warlock class. I just maybe would have communicated out of character, like, look, we got to, you're hamstringing me here. I mean, it's been okay since we haven't died. And since you gave me that wonderful, powerful staff, that's given me a little, <laughs> I shouldn't, I should stop reminding you that I have it until I oh, need it. Oh, no, I do not forget. It's just my literally biggest regret of last season is giving you that staff. <laughs> or at least not nerfing it in some way. You saw what I do with the sh what I what I started doing with the shape water spell. So, <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I mean, I I like that sort of thing. We had a great offline dis or not a great uh, off air discussion about uh, theory crafting behind um you know behind different different character builds and things like that. And I really I really enjoy thinking about things like that. So I enjoy the encounters in in um getting to kind of flex flex that side of, of the game. And yeah, right now it's pretty much Eldritch Blast until the thing stops moving and then Eldritch Blast one more time just to be sure. Um, but Mist has a lot of tricks up his sleeve that I'm eager to really play with, really try out. We, we got to we got to experiment a little bit with that with the uh uh the end of the the end of the arc um when when Mist and Trevor and Sass were out in the red fields, although I think we lost, unfortunately lost a lot of that audio. Is that how that? Yeah. And like, it, I was having audio issues. So essentially in the middle of the, the duel between mist, actually, even before the duel started, 
between Rotan and uh, Percival, there was an entire section of and a skill challenge of Mist and Trevor and Sauce going out and rescuing uh, some of the prisoners. And the second half of it is still in there. And I didn't really bridge it. So if it feels jarring, that's why you're kind of missing the first half of it. Uh, which is too bad because there was some good stuff both from Mist and from Trevor, if I recall. The point is, is, is I didn't, I did enjoy that because it let me play with things on my character sheet other than Eldritch Blast. Yeah, we'll see what season three brings, but I, I am starting, I have, I have a repertoire of things that are more than just Hex and Eldritch Blast and Darkness, and I'm excited to bring those to bear on something maybe worse than what we've seen before. <laughs> So speaking of mechanics, um, this is another question from Grace, and this one is for Amanda. Grace wants to know, is this iteration of Silway starting to diverge from other versions of her you've played? And if so, how? Oh, the answer is yes. Of course she is. Um, as I think I mentioned in the past, that the prior iterations of Silway were about 30 years older. So in that incarnation she was a your typical like loner cold-blooded assassin type who had a rich inner life but who outwardly was very closed off and emotionally stunted and so i wanted to play this version of her before that to see how how she got there or or what might have happened and are we talking mechanically here or well like i mean i think both but also like i want to interject that there was also an iteration of her in which she was seven years younger than she is right now. That is correct. That was a character we wrote about um, as part of the backstory for the 50-year-old version of her, which was, yeah, not a game, but it was a uh, a story we wrote together collaboratively uh, that took place in her homeland, in the family she grew up in, that we will explore more of going into the future. But yeah, so this is probably the, I guess we can say the third iteration of Silway. And it is the first iteration where she has magic. Um, and as we've seen, you know, I, she started off as a 2-1 rogue sorcerer. She is now a 3-5 rogue sorcerer. So clearly I'm going down the, the magic path with her, despite how resistant she is in character. Out of character, she is definitely a sorcerer by this point. <laughs> <laughs> Much to Mist's continual dismay. <laughs> or bemusement. Her refusal to, to accept her sorceress ways. Somebody's got a multi-class in this game. This is true. <laughs> I don't think I've ever not multi-classed in a D&D campaign. It's it's a thing I do. It's weird. I I don't I I have multi-classed, but I typically don't. I typically but as we've talked about offline, I'm not as much into the mechanics as as you guys are, which is bad cuz I'm the DM, but you know, at the same time like I wrestle with I, I don't get the same enjoyment over essentially breaking classes and, you know, like I, I tend to, when I, when I make characters, it's like I pick my spells or my powers about, oh, that would look cool. And so, you know, that's what I designed the character around, this sort of feel of the character and how they fight and how they move. Um, you know, whether it's the most effective or min-maxi or whatever is, you know. But I will say that all of these are valid ways to play Dungeons and Dragons. This is true. You want a multi-class? Go for it. Make a level one fighter, sorcerer, druid, cleric, barbarian, warlock, wizard, 
who am I leaving out? Rogue Ranger, go for it. Uh, you know, if that's, if, if that's what you want to play, if you want to build your character around their personality, then let your character inform your class and, and spell choices and things like that. Do it. You want to build around the, the, the mechanics of the game. Do that too. Um, what's, just just so we're clear that like there's no right or wrong way to build your character. Yeah, and I, I enjoy using the game mechanics and the character sheet to describe my character. So on the topic of min-maxing, Silway is primarily a sorcerer at this point. She has 13 charisma. So whenever I'm looking at spells for her, it's a spell that does not involve a saving throw. It does not involve an attack roll. <laughs> it's things that are flavorful and make sense for a character like a rogue-ish type person so she has shield she has invisibility haste things like that that are flavorful but not damaging um and initially when i built her she was built around this concept of the uh, the infiltrator the spy sort of rogue and her entire spec was about sneaking and perceiving and um that kind of thing her, her feats were based around that and as we discovered going through this season infiltrating is not a very good group activity so I've gradually moved her away from that spec and into more of a combat-based one, which has led to other problems of I need more interesting things to do in combat besides stab things. And so this, this is a continually evolving issue. It's sort of the, it's the, the, the rogue version of Eldritch Blast. Like, I mean, you're kind of a one-trick pony. Sneak attack, sneak attack. Yeah, it's, it, it does get boring. I mean, but... Like the, and this is my whole thing with combat in general, why I, maybe there's not as much combat in this as perhaps you would like, perhaps our listeners would like. I don't find, I find combat interesting to play. I don't find it interesting to listen to. Like it's difficult to make combat interesting. And if, if you go into uh, actual play podcast boards and, and discord servers or whatever, there's a lot of discussion about this. Of how do you make it sound interesting? Because it can sound great, like if you go really high production value with, you know, sound effects and and other things. But for the most part, it's it's kind of dull to listen to, except when you get that one moment where somebody does something insane or the dice do something crazy and something works out. And all of a sudden, it's the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. So Silway so has gone through many iterations. Um I probably lean on her too heavily as a character. I need to branch out a little bit more. But what I what I found that I want to do with her in this podcast is to take her away from the path that she was headed down in her other incarnations of being the lone wolf type character. Like I I want to see what what it would take to change that course of her life. And so that's what I'm currently aiming for. And it's been slow going because you've seen how reluctant she is to open up and share with people, but Hopefully that will be changing in the future. So kind of like, I, I think that leads us to this question. It's also kind of from Grace and it's, it's to you and I, and then there's another part to you, Amanda. Okay. Uh, Diana and Amanda, did either of you anticipate Trevor surviving the wizard tower dungeon crawl when Selway <laughs> decided to bring him along? And then the question is, Amanda, how did having him more closely integrated into the party influence Silway's character development this season? Now, I, I I will say this in terms of because I'm the DM, I could pull my punches a little bit. I didn't ever fudge a roll. I didn't ever 
but based on Trevor's personality and the way the encounters worked out, it was possible to keep him in the back and kind of away from danger, except when Silway was in peril and then he would jump into the fray. Or there was one time when I think it was probably the most dangerous time was when you were sneaking through the forest and Trevor went off on his own through the forest instead of staying on the road and ended up getting ensnared by a bunch of vines. Um, had Silway not intervened there, Trevor probably wouldn't have made it. And there was such, he got hit by one of the rays by the spectator in the top of that dungeon. I, I can't remember which one it was, but that, those were probably the two moments that he came closest. But otherwise, just personality wise, like if he had more of a Rotan personality, no, he would not have made it out of that dungeon. Like, I mean, he wouldn't have made it out of the first room. I, I did not expect Trevor to be a combat character when I invited him along. I was like, this is going to be another Gruber. He's going <laughs> to hang around and be somebody we can play off of. He's not going to be part of the adventuring party. And apparently he is part of the adventuring party. <laughs> There's only one Gruber. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that. There is only one Gruber. Although to hear Gruber tell it, there are many Grubers. All <laughs> there named probably Gruber. Are. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. What a horrifying episode that would be. <laughs> yes, for me. That would be terrible. <laughs> or just make us all roll up individual Gruber character sheets and we all play the exact same guy. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone is Gruber. That's what that's what we play. Yeah. We we stumble into this little wooden settlement and it's just like all of the extended family. <laughs> Oh my goodness. It'd be like the Flanders reunion. Oh, I want this so badly now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, to the second part of the question, Amanda, because mm -hmm. uh, this is definitely something I want to get into. How much, because I, I think definitely one of the ideas when you, um, and you and I talked about this, you know, offline or was that having Trevor in the party would force Silway to open up some. Because he would ask a bunch of questions, and it would be somebody Silway felt maybe more comfortable opening up to. That was the idea, yeah, that's, that Trevor would kind of be that catalyst role of just get her talking about stuff. And get someone that she's actually somewhat attached to. She was trying to act like she didn't care about Trevor, but I was trying to drop hints that said to say, no, she actually does kind of care about this guy, even if she's afraid to show it. So yeah, we, we had that intention of like using him to open her up a little bit. And then possibly using him to uh, force her into action, essentially give her motivation. I don't know. When when you say we, you mean you and you and Diana. Diana and I kind of collaborated yeah. a little bit on like what is Trevor's okay. role in this campaign, um, and that was kind of the thing was oh maybe her magic injures him in some way, and that's upsetting to her, and that'll force her to confront her magic and get it under control. Or I think where we ended up basically was he's going to realize that he's being mistreated by Silway. And that's going to, you know, inspire him to be like, I, this person I was obsessing over now that I've gotten to know her is not who I thought she was. And I need to take charge of my own life and not just follow her around like a puppy dog. Oh yeah. And therefore he's, you know, that's why he stayed in uh sanctuary. Yeah. And of course, Silway took that hardly took that really hard. Yeah. That last session was real. I don't know if that subtext came through in, in, um, our conversations, but that is, I think, part of Trevor's motivation was, I have outgrown you, essentially. 
Yeah, I, I will say for my part, um, Silway bringing Trevor with her at the end of last season was not planned. Uh, Amanda did that just out of the blue, <laughs> and Trevor rolled with it. I did not ask permission. I just said... I didn't know that either. <laughs> oh, that's really Yeah, no, funny. we did not discuss it beforehand, like anything like that. She was just in the moment. I love it. Um, and... Putting aside the fact that this party likes to accumulate NPCs, <laughs> and I'm going to ask each of you this question, but I'll go first since it's the natural place. My favorite part of this season is Trevor's journey. Like, mm -hmm. because I had absolutely no plans for him or no intentions, he was there. Like, his whole journey was very organic. And as Amanda points out, like, I realized, you know, maybe our third to last session as they were getting closer and closer to the end, that Silway's treating him really poorly. And mm -hmm. he's he's done with it. Like, is and he it's funny because he went from more or less like idolizing Silway and following her like a puppy dog to idolizing Rotan. And looking at Rotan as this sort of role model of what a hero should be. And so, like, for him to go on that journey of basically being this scared boy in the Thieves' Guild in Nightfall to being this kind of knight of the realm kind of thing, you know, and to have the self-confidence to realize that you know, he maybe doesn't need people as much as he thought or, or doesn't, you know, need to depend on them, that he can stand on his own feet. Um, that's not to say saying goodbye wasn't difficult. And I will say from a personal standpoint, that's probably the moment I'm most proud of because, yeah, I, I, I got somewhere that I didn't expect. I, I was crying for real when we did that. I was tearing up at the moment, too. I teared up. It was... It was hard, you know, which hopefully made for good listening and, and for the story and everything. I, I Honestly, it's still difficult for me to listen to, but that's kind of what I'm most proud of. And I hope that Silway, I hope that Trevor has had as big of an impact on Silway as Silway has had on him and Rotan and Mist. I can tell you. He definitely had an impact on Simway. It did not come across in her interactions because of her personality type. She definitely like absorbed that. And you could that's how I kind of played it at the that episode was like she's just shut down, which is not very compelling listening, but we we hopefully will see in season three that she is sort of that's part of her opening up process. You know, that hurt her, that kind of uh jolted her into action. I don't know if action's the right word there, but but I, I, I mean, I remember I, that session hit me really hard, and and part of it was was the Trevor thing, and then part of it was um, was not knowing if if Silway was going to leave or not, because because you discussed maybe trying a, a different character for a bit, Ames, and so it, like it really like saying goodbye. It was really it was really hard. Because that might have been goodbye. And yeah, that was... Yeah, there's a whole background to how that episode played out. <laughs> that was good RP. Uh, that that Moments like that 
uh, are are why I love this shit. It was great, like heartbreaking, but but great. Well, and I think I think in that moment, it, that's one of the moments where you see uh, Mist's guard come down. You know, when they're when Silway and and Rotan and Mist are sitting at the table, and Silway's going up, you know, to sleep and mist is like you know she's like yeah i'll see you tomorrow and mist like will you will you will we see you tomorrow like i I felt like in that moment mist was letting on and dropping the sort of cool cat facade i don't know what do you think mike i'm dead inside so you know (laughs) (laughs) no i mean it was it was after after two full seasons of the bickering and everybody kind of trying to go their own way now faced with the possibility that one of their one of the party might actually go their own way yeah mist is kind of like eh, maybe 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 it would be all right if this human stuck around longer you know so yeah i mean i i i think that's i think that's fair i think that's accurate uh so uh chris wants to know in episode eight, Rotan looks into a mirror and has a vision of his father. What would have happened if Mist or Silway looked in the mirror? Ooh. Oh, dear God. <laughs> so, yes, I had, um, I actually had visions for both of them. Ooh. Oh, we should have pulled back that curtain. I, oh, I don't, I don't know Silway's backstory. This is very interesting. <laughs> You you know a little bit more now, but had Silway pulled back the curtain, it would have been her mother. You know, I, I think that one was fairly obvious. Had Mist pulled back the curtain, it would have been the squid-faced monster. His current obsession. Had you both looked in the mirror at the same time, it would have been an amalgam of the two. Oh, a squid-faced mother. <laughs> God, that's horrifying. It really is horrifying. Oh, and if we'd all looked in at the same time. Oh. Oh, wow. Father, mother, squid. That mirror just got a lot creepier. Yeah, alas, uh, they did not look in the mirror. So, um, you know, that was one of uh, at least two things that didn't enter into the story. Can I ask a behind the curtain question? Yes, of course. What happened to the unicorn? What's a unicorn? <laughs> yes, the, the you mean that weird horned monster that sounded like a horse? Yeah, yeah the weird yeah. horned monster that sounded like a horse that nobody had ever heard of before. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've decided to just call it a unicorn because it makes sense as a conjunction. But I mean, it, it could be a monohorn horse. <laughs> yes, it was in fact a unicorn in that room, and essentially, um, it was part of a forgotten magical experiment. Oh, it starved to death, didn't it? It it did not, <laughs> uh, because you got to remember it. It was probably three hundred years old, you know, like everything else in there. And what would have happened had you broken the glass and tried to rescue the unicorn is it would have like leapt through the window, staggered for a second, fallen down on its knees, and then suddenly started breathing fire and it would have transformed into a nightmare so so not a unicorn <laughs> <then>. <laughs> it's not a so unicorn. not a unicorn okay it is cool. the, the 
It, it is the opposite of a unicorn. <laughs> Never have I been happier about failing checks. <laughs> at, at the same time, we could have fought a nightmare. We could have fought a nightmare. You could have fought a nightmare. I like the idea that somebody's... A unicorn is somebody's nightmare. Like, someone out there is terrified of unicorns. There's <laughs> a horse with a horn on its head! Oh god, and it's shooting rainbows! What is this? <laughs> That's pretty much the only... I, I think the only real things you missed... Like, had you explored um, maybe the Odal more and gone up into the tower, uh, you would have learned a lot more a lot earlier. Yeah, what was on the top floor of the tower? I, it was where the head of the Odal was. Like, the outer head. I knew it. Rotan knew it. He was up there, and 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 there was a lot of uh, papers and other things to dig through that would have basically told you what the Redfields were, what kind of the history of everything would have been, so you would have, like, gone into it more prepared than you were. Heroing 101. Villains either at the top or at the bottom. This is true. Fact of life. Uh, okay, so yes, uh, let's let's talk about what your favorite parts, both kind of in character or out of character, or you know what you enjoyed in this season. Getting to pretend to be cold again. <laughs> I, I well, I mean, I miss the cold. Like I, I always like the winter levels in games. Um, you know, like when Zora's domain freezes over in Ocarina of Time. Spoiler alert for like a. 20 year old game <laughs> the 20 year old game you know or or snowhead temple in uh in majora's mask because uh, those are the first two that come to mind i always like the cold winter like hoth like northrend well northrend might be w winter spring more than northrend northrend is a little like cold but also lots of zombies which okay but, but yeah like for, i mean lord of the rings forakel is my favorite zone in in Lord of the Rings Online, I I, mean, I could see that. Yeah, I, I I liked I liked that we had we had our we had our cold we had our cold level we had our ice level, um, as it were. Vankula just felt it felt like that sort of town. Like it was it was thematically. <laughs> I I enjoyed the theme of the season. How about that? Yeah, I'm on the same line. I I my favorite parts to play in were the let's make midwestern jokes sections of the game like let's just make an episode where we just talk about euchre for the hell of it because we all are midwesterners and uh get to laugh about it i love the idea that like this ubiquitous red powder that's on everybody's table is just lowry seasoning salt <laughs> if lowry seasoning salt was lsd right oh yeah would we have tripped out if we like actually seasoned our food with it no, I, okay. no, you wouldn't have tripped out. It just would have tasted really good. <laughs> this whole town seems not that chill. <laughs> no, but it depends on how much you used. Like, okay. it's, the genesis of the idea, the impetus uh, was that episode of Futurama where Bender oh, wants God, to be the... <laughs> Where he wants to be the Iron Chef, and he the the guy gives him the his master or whatever gives him that magic bottle of magic seasoning, which turns out to be LSD, and that's the reason everybody likes his cooking. It's water, ordinary water. And I thought to myself, like, 
What if you had a bunch of nice Midwesterners who were also kind of drug dealers, but, you know, <laughs> weren't really, like... So, yeah, the, the setting was really fun. Like, the coming across this tiny mountain town where everyone's just a little bit high 24-7, it was fun. I, and I, too, enjoyed the Midwestern jokes and the, and the chance to... And that episode was a lot of fun, just... You know, Mike, you and I going back and forth in the sort of, you know, Midwestern Wisconsin sort of accent there, sort of kind of Canadian there, sort of. It it depends on which which one you're going for, because Canadian, it's, you know, it tends to be over-exaggerated. It's really a smoother sort of accent. And even this is a bit more of an exaggeration of it than it really is. I just start channeling, thinking about Red Green Show, and just, you just start doing that. Yeah. <laughs> And by the way, if we have any Canadian listeners, I, I'm I'm from Michigan. Like you guys are our neighbors, so this is all with love and all that. Um, <laughs> no, it was it was it was fun, kind of going back to. I, I like playing with accents. Let's hearing Aaron's couch referred to as a Davenport just transported <laughs> me back in time. It was fantastic. I I don't know if anybody will get that joke, but I definitely yes. got that joke. <laughs> My grandmother called every couch a Davenport, and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I I did like. I, I'm glad. I, I'm glad Vankala came out as fully realized as it did, just because I thought it was a silly idea, and it it turns out to uh, have worked. So, what about you, Adam? What was your favorite part of the season? Uh, the ending. I still like like it really like hit me so hard <laughs> like not knowing which NPCs were leaving or not and like oh there was some discussion I think behind the scenes but like not knowing as we were playing what exactly was going to happen was just oh it was really tense for me <laughs> really emotionally intense there were discussions behind the scenes but they were all tossed out the window in real time <laughs> yeah just yeah, played too. with whatever felt right which is i and that's i mean that's why i love this group like there there's a lot of live plays where there'll be like more more planning happening than than happens with this group and and we just sort of roll with things with with a lot of things i mean we have we have healthy behind the scenes discussions to like keep us all having fun as, as much as we can. But, but, uh, but, oh man, that, that final set of scenes was just, was, was rough. I also liked discovering the fields for the first time, like stepping out of the blizzard and then like emerging into this, this temperate, uh, place where like there are ghosts picking the flowers like that was real eerie and and had such a was such a cool reveal i i really enjoyed that moment as well yeah i'll, I'll say like kind of to to your point in terms of our like behind the scenes uh discussions just so everybody the listeners know we don't really talk about plot like when when we're when we're like like Adam said we're they don't know where what I'm going to throw at them I don't know what they're going to do um I definitely have a um 
you know, and, and we kind of talked about this offline amongst the group. I felt that this season was maybe a little bit more railroaded uh, than the last season. Um, everybody disagreed with me, but it's just because I felt like as the DM, I was doing maybe a little bit more guiding than I did last season, which was kind of more of a free for all, which is why everyone, we went to Mugbees three different times. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, and so it's sort of like, you know, and I think part of that was us learning to, you know, what we're doing as storytellers and as podcasters. But in terms of, you know, that I agree with you. That's what I love about this. I love, you know, okay, here's this situation. Here's this moment. I don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, let's, let's play. Like, I, I, I don't know if you guys feel it, but you have far more power to shape the story than I do. Like, what happens in the world is directly dependent and influenced and, and based. It comes from what you do and your actions. I think this will become more apparent uh, as you move on. But, you know, there are there are consequences to your actions. There are ripples for things that you do that may not be, you know, readily apparent, but oops in time. I'm sorry. What do you mean? My actions have consequences. I don't, <laughs> that doesn't. I'll <laughs> well, see if you, if you burn down a building, then I didn't burn. D- that one burned down the building. I didn't burn down a building. I burned a field. And I didn't burn the field. I just let an imp do it. Yeah, you only gave the imp the oil and the fire. Yeah, what he chose to do with it is his business. I, all I did was burn a field full of hallucinogens. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? I, I'm happy that... Um, We've gone two seasons, and both seasons have sort of ended with things on fire. <laughs> this is definitely going to be a recurring theme, though. Something will burn yeah. in the finale of every multi-class theater season. If only because, well, until Rotan dies. Let's let's be realistic here. That'll probably cut down on the yeah. It's probably just two then yeah. likelihood of fires. Well, I mean, but I'll but I'll say this. I mean, like they were both organic. I mean, well, the, not the first. The first one came out of nowhere. Like when when Adam said Rotan sets the place on fire, I was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> Rotan made it very clear early on that his intention was to burn the place to the ground. <laughs> I wouldn't say it came out of nowhere. I would say it was pretty, pretty well telegraphed. It came out of nowhere the way that office space is burning came out of nowhere. Like, <laughs> yeah. He was saying it over and over again, but you didn't like, really believe him. I I I did try and lay lay a lot of groundwork there. <laughs> Just in case I I had to follow through. His insistence on burning down the thieves' guild, like <laughs> only this is that, true. We, that, that he didn't burn down the thieves' guild, only delayed the inevitable. It did not take the idea from his mind. He's a one man inquisition in some ways. Actually, can can I can I can I reconsider? So so, if I had to pick an absolute favorite moment of the season. It was Diana realizing she had burnt the carriage with all of my all of my wealth inside. (laughs) (laughs) That 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 made me so happy. (laughs) Yes, such a DM move. 
that she had done it and forgotten that all of my wealth was inside <laughs> because there there was so just so y'all know there was talk afterwards and in fact it went beyond talk in the game i believe mist actually went back and recovered rotan's gold because i said i did that yeah we, we had a <laughs> yes. whole conversation about what is the melting point of gold and how hot can a carriage fire get and i pulled in like professional this help with a, with a firefighter and then no it's funnier if you just it just burned yeah and it's it, so it was ultimately came down to adam's decision whether he wanted the gold or not and he decided that it was funnier if gruber basically set their entire wealth on fire I mean, not not just that it's funnier like that that wasn't just what went into this decision like what went into the decision is like roton is what he's like a trust fund baby like he he doesn't know how to like protect his wealth <laughs> so yeah like i i don't think he has any conception of like what will happen to him when he runs out of gold coins and as far as he knows he only burned 11 or so gold pieces he, he has not yet run out of gold pieces but he may be in for a very rude awakening when he runs out of money and needs to like eat uh, <laughs> but like, but like, in his mindset, like, unless somebody else is going to go pick up that nine hundred gold pieces, like, he, like, we need to, we need to go figure out what what the Odal's up to, like that priorities. <laughs> um, I need to rescue my brother. Like that, that was all primary, uh, relative to the loss of the gold. Uh, so I think, I think we we decided that probably it hadn't melted and <laughs> somebody in Fargo has just gotten 900 gold pieces richer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. It, 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 yeah. Uh, which, which is still hilarious to me. Maybe they used it to erect that monument for us. Yeah, it's, it started somebody else's journey and story. Okay, so uh, this is also from Grace. Adam, out of sheer curiosity, did you consider incorporating incor incorporating aleatoric processes slash techniques into the music for the podcast? Or have you done so already? Given that D&D mechanics are quite literally dependent upon random chance, or might that be too esoteric for a D&D podcast? Now, I had to look up what aleatoric is. Yes, I, I also... Could could you tell me <laughs> what it means? <laughs> so, uh, aleatoric is essentially uh, it means random, like a toss of the dice. Oh. Um, now, how that applies to music is beyond my scope. Uh, n the answer is no. Uh, <laughs> and um, so so I know that 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 we're starting to see that more in uh different DAWs, which are, uh, DAW, D-A-W is essentially a, a piece of software that's used for, for music editing. It stands for D Digital Audio Workstation? I'd believe that. I, I can never remember exactly what it means, um, or what, what the acronym is. Yes. Audacity and Reaper are also DAWs. Yes. So yeah, I, I know that's starting to, um, to creep in. I, I don't really have tools at my fingertips that would make that convenient uh in terms of of a time sink 
Uh, it's something I would like to play around with at some point, but, uh, but no, I haven't been, uh, the, the most random thing that, that goes into those is some of the VSTs I use, uh, have several sets of sounds and it randomly picks which of the sounds for that particular note so that you have some sort of variety, uh, in the sound. So say if you're like, plucking a guitar string over and over again. If you have just one sound for plucking that one string over and over again, uh, the ear can, can pick that out actually pretty quickly, uh, and it sounds really unnatural. Um, and so one way that some people get around this is they create virtual instruments where uh, there will be multiple plucks of the same string at the same note, and then uh, you sort of randomly choose or the software randomly chooses uh, which of those sounds it's going to use at any given point. Okay, excellent. So, <laughs> This is our hidden party member. He's always here, just never seen. Uh, one, of, one of them. We have another one who, who appears on camera often, but uh, not at the moment, because I guess it's not food time. Yeah, he's, he's dozing in the other room. Okay, more questions for you, Adam. This is from uh, Solana or Silana. I'm not sure I would pronounce it Solana, but Solana says, I'm only in season one right now, but I've really enjoyed hearing all of the music as the season has progressed. It brings an extra level of immersion and all the feels to the story that I'm really digging. I'm curious to know more about the evolution of your composing and production process. In particular, here we go. Uh, how do you think your composing slash production has changed over time? Ah, uh, jeez, that's a that's a complicated question. I I've always enjoyed writing music, um, but I do I've done a lot more sort of song creation in my head. I used to play uh, guitar more than I do now um, for like campfire purposes and so i i used to do a lot more music composition just in my head than i do uh than i do now um and a big part of that is i have come out of grad school and i am able to devote time to things like music production uh <laughs> which uh has actually been been a been a big big uh shift Having having that time has allowed me to start experimenting and sort of branching out and trying things with microphones and uh, various synthetic instruments that I I really didn't have the bandwidth to uh, to play around with before. So that's that's been a big shift for me. Um, so where do you get your inspiration from? All over the place, um, but in large part classical music. Uh, a lot of, I mean. As part of the, the decision tree when we were discussing what sort of music we wanted at the beginning, because we were going for a masterpiece theater sort of joke in our title, uh, I think we, we discussed, as I recall, we discussed and, and thought it would be cool to do more sort of an orchestral uh, epic sort of feel. In terms of where I get my inspiration from, it's mostly starts with humming and uh, humming something that sounds cool, and then uh, sort of building it out from there. And also the musical Cats. Of course. I mean, <laughs> I I cannot overstate how 
big of an impact the musical cats <laughs> has had on my creative process. <laughs> Those dancing cockroaches. Ah, <laughs> oh, perfect. A revelation. <laughs> Not a good kind of revelation, but a revelation. Uh, okay. Um, how much do you know about the story before you start composing? Uh, <laughs> only what we record. <laughs> so sometimes that's uh, like a couple of weeks lag time. Sometimes that's several months lag time. Uh, a big uncertainty for me, I think, is I don't know exactly what I'm going to get after uh, Ames and Diana have worked their audio editing magic. And I try and focus, or I've been trying to focus more on hitting emotional moments and scene transitions than having uh, long background tracks. And I, I think that that is a tricky thing because I know way back when we started this, um, when you were doing the music for the first episode, uh, we had conversations surrounding uh, the three of you finding the body. And you're like, well, I have this theme here, but is this important? And, you know, I, I don't know, should I use this here? Or like with Arnon, like I have this theme here, but, you know, is he... Like, you had no idea who he was. You had no idea how important the body was. Yeah. You know, and, and I think, you know, now that going into season three, um, I think you, you do know those things. But, you know, from a composer standpoint, you perhaps maybe would have scored things differently knowing now what you, you know, knowing then what you know now, because you could do foreshadowing and you could do things like that, that. You know, I, I, we definitely handcuff you that way. Yeah. I am pretty happy with how things have shaken out. Uh, there have been a few places where I've just made educated guesses. And for the most part, those have shaken out um, pretty, pretty well. Yeah. I think my biggest, my biggest uncertainty right now, and you should not respond at all to this, Diana, you know I won't. Okay, good. <laughs> is um, I originally wrote a motif that that I wanted to use for the big bad. I mean, I could use it for any big bad, but uh, I thought it would be cool to use it for the big bad. And I wound up slotting that in for for uh, the mind flare. What do what, what do we call the Athiliad? Yeah. Anyway, Athiliad. Yeah, I think is yeah. good monster. <laughs> That's. That's yes, our squid monster. Can't get sued for squid monster. <laughs> can't can't get squ <laughs> yeah, can't get sued for squid monster. Um, and now I'm questioning whether, like, who is the biggest bad in this? And I don't know. Um, and so uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> so I, I think uh, this question is related to that one, and it's: um, Do you write a bunch of stuff in advance and try to fit it in the story later? Or does the story happen and then you write music to fit a scene? Or is it a mix of scenarios? Uh, it's, it's mostly a mix. If I have time, then I will sometimes write music to fit scenes. But taking sort of a step back, I am a big sucker for motifs. Not, uh, not like Wagner level of motifs. I'm not, I'm not crazy. Uh, but, but like, <laughs> but like, you know, John Williams sort of like having, having musical orchestration that, that you can start to associate with, uh, emotions or, or, uh, 
characters or moments. And so um, the way things have sort of sh- shaken out by this point is we have um, we have a, a motif for for each main character, and uh, and then we've been having uh, a motif or two for for each location. And uh, I can see that continuing going forward. Last question for you, Adam, and then I've got one more question for all of you to to wrap it up. Uh, specifically, what DAW or tools or VSTs, et cetera, do you like to use? And I think you got into this a little bit earlier. Do you find yourself sticking to a consistent group of tools or do you like to experiment with new ones as the chapters progress? Uh, I'll address the DAW question first. So that's the, the software end of things. When I was just sort of getting into uh, the production end of things, I uh, got myself a, a copy of uh, a free copy of of Avid uh, Pro Tools, so like their their most basic set. They actually had a pretty nice set of low to moderate quality VSTs with that. Uh, I think it's it's kind of a buggy set, and I wound up leaving. Uh, the the whole software, the free version, is kind of buggy, and so I wound up leaving that behind. And now my workflow is mostly a combination of using Reaper, which is the DAW that we do a lot of our final sound editing on, and MuseScore, which is a, uh, it's kind of like Sibelius, if anyone knows what that is. It's essentially a, a music musical notation program, uh, lets you write music uh, like it would appear on um, on just a, a regular sheet of paper. It's, it lets you write uh, music in, in sheet form. If you have any, if you're interested in doing composing and, um, and have experience with musical notation, um, I can't recommend it more highly. The tools there are, are really nice and, um, and it's free and it's a really great tool that, uh, has been, uh, open source tool that's been built, um, by, by the community there. Uh, so what I often will do, uh, if I have something in my head is I'll pen it down in MuseScore and I'll export, uh, the sound as a MIDI file into Reaper. And then in Reaper, I'll take those MIDI tracks and I'll overlay my virtual instruments onto them. In terms of which virtual instruments I use, that's continually evolving. I've been doing a lot with uh, East-West lately, which is uh, a set of instruments that you have to pay for. Um, but I've been quite satisfied with their uh, their Hollywood Orchestra and um, and their strings uh, sets. And then, uh, but but it's really like in terms of finding what VSTs you like. There's a lot of recommendations I could give in terms of uh, free and not free, uh, but really experimentation is your friend. Um, there are lots of instrument sounds that sound really good if they're for short notes and sound really bad for long notes and vice versa. Uh, there are lots of instrument sounds that sound extremely artificial until you slap a reverb on them and then they sound like they're being played in a concert hall. So, uh uh, yeah, just just keep experimenting and trying new things. Uh, and I say, I would say this goes for everybody. Um, if you want to ask more questions, some more in-depth questions to any of the cast or myself, uh, come join our Discord. We're on there all the time. 
you can talk to us. You can ask us questions. You can talk to Adam about music production. Uh, you can talk to Mike about movies. You can talk to me about <laughs> movies, video <laughs> games. Oh, and, and if you have any rock questions, you know where to go. Uh-huh. Uh, which, thankfully, we did not get any uh, for this, which is uh, sad and also a relief. <laughs> okay, so I have one final question uh, for the four of you. As we head into season three, where would you like to see your characters go? Uh, and I don't mean that physically, uh, but just sort of emotionally, like, you know, how do you see your characters growing or what do you hope the future holds for them? Yeah, I, I mentioned earlier um, that one of my desires is for Silway to open up and connect to people. I think I mentioned at the beginning of season two that my desire for her was to, like, explore the idea of chosen family, which, you know, hit and miss on my success for that. But I think she has sort of accepted, like, that she, these are her friends now and her traveling companions and uh, her uh, pseudo family. But I do want to continue that theme in season three when they travel back towards her uh, homelands. I also want her to actually embrace her magic finally. I want her to become that sort of character that's not just the uh, sneaky spy lone wolf character. I want her to become what I have in mind is basically a chaos mage, but since that's not really a thing, I'll have to define what it means as the season goes on. <laughs> but that is my desire. I don't know what it says that when you said that you finally want to embrace your magic. In my head, I heard Mist saying, finally. <laughs> She's going to have to find a teacher because if she tries to get Mist a teacher, there'll be more discussions about face holes and magic oozing from orifices. Uh, so what do you think, Mike, Adam? I'm going to be really anticlimactic. I, I have no clue. Um, I think it's going to be a matter of what season three brings and if he changes how he changes it'll have to be something that happens organically if i were if i were like plotting a story then sure i could see his arc and where it's gonna go but i don't know i i like his backstory is not really fleshed out as we have had many discussions on and and part of it is i wanted him to be a character who's shaped more by the things that are happening to him now than the things that might have happened to him in the past. And so I think that's how I want this to continue to go forward. What happens to him as a character where he where he grows or where he fails to grow, I think needs to be a consequence of what happens to him in this season and in this upcoming season. And I don't know what that is yet. So um, maybe unsatisfying, but that's, that's my thought on it. No, look, I, I mean, I, I think... You know, last season, I was a little bit more, I, I think we talked about it where I'm like, okay, I'd like to dig into Miss backstory. I'd like to, we've, you know, we've done a lot with Silway. We were going to do a lot with Rotan, you know, Mist. And then I think after playing Trevor over this season, you know, somebody who had a very limited backstory and just allowing to live in the moment and see where that takes you, I see the appeal of that. And I see the possibilities there you know to somebody who is kind of untethered by the past so adam what does season three hold for rotan 
Sunny with a 50% chance of severe thunderstorms in the afternoon. Well, you heard it here first. <laughs> I really have nothing to say there. I'm like thinking of something and I'm like, ah. I will say Rotan has six more siblings that we could meet. <laughs> he does. He, he has family for days. Are they all alive, though? Uh, uh... Define alive. They they can all be alive. <laughs> no, but I, I was just kind of thinking that. I'm like, okay, six, he's the youngest, and... In, in my headcanon, uh, only his eldest brother is dead. Uh, Wiley von Bastard, uh, the, the 14th, uh, died in a tragic birthday fox hunting accident. <laughs> so, <laughs> at least that's what that that's what Rotong was told. My headcanon there is that he was shot multiple times, and no one's sure which gun <laughs> did it because everyone was motivated to do so. Oh, oh, it was um, it was a bow and arrow, uh, but it misfired. Okay, yep. <laughs> okay, all right. I think that is a great note to end on. Thank you all for listening. Uh, season three is coming soon. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. See you next season. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Goodbye now. Recording. And I am recording. <laughs> recording. This is the behind the curtain episode slash random movie movie ramble. <laughs> Mike wants to rave about a movie for once. I don't remember what I was saying. <laughs> okay, so we were talking about the movie Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which if you haven't seen it, uh, is a very excellent take on the Douglas Adams book. And we were lamenting the fact that they only made one. And for some inexplicable reason, it seems to be dumped on by a lot of people. I, and I don't get it. I I read the books before I saw the movie. I liked the books and I loved the movie. So I don't I don't get why, you know, oh, I, I know there was the radio play. I'll be honest, I'm Philistine. I haven't listened to the radio play or seen the original BBC series. And maybe that's what people are like comparing it to like well we still had the bbc television series and but i don't but so what it's a movie it's not going to be the same this is the same story told in four different media of course it's going to be different each time and i just i love it you know i i think uh it's perfectly cast i think everybody absolutely kills in their role i think it's hilarious uh i don't know what else i i, I don't get i don't get the hate for it i don't get it uh, yeah, I mean, I I agree with you, Mike. I, I'm I'm a, also a big fan of Duncan Jones as a filmmaker. I wish he would get more quality stuff to do. Moon is tremendous. Oh, oh, he did. Oh, oh no. Oh well, no wonder. First of all, no wonder Sam Rockwell, and second, no wonder I love the, yes. both of those movies. Whoa. Yes, he did Moon. He did. If you haven't seen it, um, he did Source Code with Jake Gyllenhaal, which is an excellent little. It's I, I if I remember it from the trailers, it's time travel. It's or it's time loop on a train. Basically, yes, yes. Okay, no, no actual source code involved. <laughs> no, I, I won't say anything more than that because it's like 
you know, it's one of those movies that, you know, has a twist or several twists. It's well so. done. I'll, I'll add that to the list. And he even did the Warcraft movie. Ooh. <laughs> oh, right. Which I still Ooh. haven't seen. And then I'm okay. See, now I'm good. Now I'm going to go down the, I was trying to be positive. Like I wanted to glow about a movie <laughs> instead of like, you know, complain about Rise of Skywalker for the umpteenth time, but. <laughs> I just, so we should probably start this, you know, <laughs> thing now that we're warmed up. <laughs>